0: This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Wednesday, November 24th, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm Tim Preece with Tim O'Malley. We expect Pete Sampson to join us here in a bit, but we are here today to talk about Notre Dame versus Stanford. Notre Dame, a 19-point favorite, which I expect that number to go up, Tim, as as, as we move along here this week. But uh Notre Dame number six in the college football playoff ranking, which is where we expected them to be. Let's start with Stanford, Tim. Um Tim they do not have a lot going for them right now. Losers of 6 in a row. Tanner McKee is back, which is significant because the only chance that they had is with Tanner McKee at quarterback cuz he's got a good he's got a good group of of wide receivers and an excellent tight end.
1: Yeah, and I think he is a fine quarterback when he has time and that will be his biggest problem against Notre Dame. Not many quarterbacks are getting time right now against uh, what Marcus Freeman and Mike Elston have dialed up. This could be a situation – I mean, it's a huge difference that he's playing, though, because we talked – I think we mentioned in the last podcast, they've beaten three straight backup quarterbacks. This would be the worst backup quarterback situation of all if that happened. I mean, I think there was – when I say backup quarterbacks, you know, they didn't really have a chance to score the last two teams. But, I mean, those guys weren't bad, right? Wolfolk will be good someday, I think. I
0: thought Wolfolk played pretty darn well considering the circumstances.
1: Gates can make plays. He was just overwhelmed. Um, Navy probably wouldn't have mattered if it was a backup quarterback or not with Navy, but this would really matter. Cause there's nothing we have seen them play without Tanner McKee and there is, there's nothing there.
0: Yeah. their backup quarterback. Uh, is it Jack West? West is his last name. Apparently, well, he's thrown 20 passes and had three of them picked off. So they have no, they have no chance. And then, you know, behind him is um, they've got a, a, a true freshman who was injured—I don't know—a couple of weeks yeah, ago.
1: Ari R- e Patu, Ari e Patu, right? Yeah,
0: right. And they played Dylan Plotz, who was a walk-on at one point a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah, the drop-off. And in in reading your comments from the the Stanford Insider, yeah. um, I mean, it it kind of sounds like they're waiting for Tanner McKee to get hurt again. I don't know that it doesn't sound like he his whatever. You know what specifically? No, well, I, mean, I think a the leg reason, injury. Think my but
1: my line of questioning was: Is he going to be able to make it? And I think that might have led him down that path of okay. like, oh yeah, no, he's going to be getting hit, and it, it's yeah. like, it might be time again because Notre Dame has. I mean, Notre Dame has had that effect on people. They're they're getting in there, roughing people up, and I thought it was interesting that no matter what, they'll be running the Wildcat. I mean, that that's not what. Right, what doing, but obviously they try to augment their running game. But yeah, and
0: that's that's guys. Isaiah Sanders. I mean, they've got like five, they've got like five or six guys that they're ready to turn to, and only one of them is really worth a damn, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, so there, it's
1: been, a, it's been a turn on this Notre Dame schedule, Tim. But they, you, you can't. Handle yeah, there. I mean,
0: Stanford is I, the the most shocking thing is they can't run and they can't stop the run. I mean, what are we, we're, we're talking Stanford football yeah. here. Now they can't run averaging 3.2 yards per carry and they cannot stop the run at 5.8 yards per carry. Unbelievable.
1: It's been a couple of years since they could run the ball. I think it was, uh, we, I think we realized it during 2019.
0: Yes, exactly. Sudden, that's when they took a significant turn. Yeah. And
1: all of a sudden we're looking at them like they don't run the ball at all. They're one of the worst running teams in the country. Why are we talking about their running game? Right. And, it has not recovered. It's a surprising thing because I thought the one thing they'd be able to do with David Shaw, I know we have a question on this, is continue to recruit offensive linemen, tight ends. And a, a, uh, there's so many running backs out there that can come in and be tough-minded running backs behind a good line. It's just a surprise um, how far they've fallen. It could end up costing Notre Dame how far they've fallen. It might end up costing Notre Dame how bad North Carolina's offensive line was all season because other teams got to them. and And UCLA firing their coach and going on a, spiral sense because they needed some of those teams to be eight and four, right? They, they, yes. It needed some teams to be eight and four and it's now you need a lot of help. You might get a lot of help. You're guaranteed some help, but it's, uh, it's kind of a weird situation would happen with the schedule.
0: Well, let's talk about the college football playoff because I don't think too many people are invested in uh, hearing about Stanford struggle along their offensive line, but um, Notre Dame number six, as, as we anticipated, Uh, number one, Georgia, number two, Ohio State, number three, Alabama, number four, Cincinnati moving in the top four, and Michigan number five. I think that that's right or correct. I think that's how I would uh, align them, including Notre Dame at number six at this point. Where do you see this headed? Because I think I I mentioned on Monday that the assumption is that Georgia is just going to beat Alabama, and to me that's a pretty crazy assumption when you're still talking about Alabama being Alabama.
1: Yeah, that's – that I think the assumption is there because people need it to happen. Um,
0: That's probably and, correct. Yes.
1: It's kind of like why, how I'm assuming, I'm not assuming this at all, but how I keep bringing up go Wisconsin on Wisconsin because Minnesota isn't beating either one of those teams. Right. Right. And Wisconsin's probably not beating Ohio state either. Let's be fair. And Michigan put it on Wisconsin. Now that was what Notre Dame did the same thing. It was a different Wisconsin team, but usually when Michigan claims to be physical, They run into a team that actually is physical, and they lose that game. They ran into a physical Wisconsin team and beat them up. So I don't know. I know Wisconsin's playing good football. Notre Dame could really use Wisconsin winning the Big Ten championship. I mean, there are so many people with Oklahoma State or Oklahoma coming behind them with what has to happen in front and with the possibility of two loss Alabama I think it's a high possibility of two. I, I think
0: if, if Michigan were to beat Ohio state, which I don't really believe I keep saying, I think they can compete and I, and I think they will. I, 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 Michigan could, could lose to Wisconsin. If Ohio state beats Michigan. Yeah. I, you, that's just way. I don't No matter how good Wisconsin's defense is, it's Ohio state's just way too much offense without enough offense on Wisconsin's part to really make any shortcomings that Ohio state may have on defense.
1: And I know it has come to fruition for last time, but I can't get fifty nine nothing out of my head in the Big Ten championship game when Ohio State was out there with them. So that's that was well, just that's true. A...
0: I hadn't even thought about that, but that's yeah. that's very true. Nothing to do
1: with, but I mean, it's it is there is something to do with it because Ohio State has those type of receivers and quarterback. No,
0: there's no doubt, and it is interesting, just uh, you know, on a, a micro level to think Ohio State offense versus Wisconsin defense. But I just think Wisconsin's defense will ultimately get worn down because their offense won't be able to do enough.
1: We are having a. There's a pretty big debate. I just got out of it after after I think Monday because there's there's not, no one can prove anything here that two loss Alabama. Our board believes two loss Alabama is out, or they firmly want to believe two loss Alabama is out. I just don't think that's the case. I really don't. Um, uh, our friend Douglas Farmer took it a little a step further. He he contacted me when I wrote that if Auburn beats Alabama, Alabama's out. He doesn't even think that's the case if they beat Georgia. Now, I think a loss to Auburn would knock Alabama out.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Saying, i saying that's
1: champion Alabama gets in still. I don't think that's the case, but I really believe that the committee wants Georgia in if they beat Alabama 24-20 or anything similar. And people say, well, what about the – we don't want a rematch. Well, let's make Alabama three and Cincinnati four. You can do right, anything you could, want. You want Alabama again. Yeah. I just
0: I I don't know what the I don't know what the committee will do if Alabama loses a close game. I I, we just I don't know that there's any way of pinpointing that and saying this is exactly what will happen.
1: I think the worst thing that came out of the uh, college football playoff show was they said they look at Oklahoma in the exact same way they look at Oklahoma State. And one of those teams is going to be in that spot winning the Big 12, because I kind of thought Oklahoma State and I mentioned this Monday was viewed as. Kind of like Notre Dame. Man, they are really coming on. That's a really good team. They belong. It's too bad they can't put five or six in. I thought they took Oklahoma and sent them out to pasture. Yeah. But he actually mentioned that Oklahoma is the same as Oklahoma State if they win their next two games. I was like, oh my gosh, that means Oklahoma could get in over Notre Dame too.
0: Right. Well, two wins over Oklahoma State would probably justify that.
1: Yeah, you just don't look at Oklahoma right now as playing really no, good I agree. ball. Where I, I said Oklahoma State, they are playing just as well as Notre Dame. They're playing really good ball right now too.
0: I, I just. My feeling, and you know, I mean, I know every not everybody wants Nordie to make playoffs because some people <laughs> just want them to go to a bowl game and win it. But my feeling is um that Northeim will end up being number five because I because I, I I'm I am i I'm am I'm, I'm, cl- I'm sticking to the notion that Alabama is going to beat Georgia this weekend. So then they both obviously they both make it. Ohio State is going to have a spot in the playoffs. And I don't think Cincinnati is going to lose.
1: I think so, Cincinnati is going to lose, but I still think Notre Dame ends up number five because I agree with everything else you said, and I think Oklahoma State gets in over Notre Dame.
0: But they have to; they've got to win twice.
1: Well, Oklahoma or Oklahoma State has to win twice. Right. Um, they might be getting Baylor too. Yeah, the best.
0: Yeah, the best thing is for those two to split.
1: Oh yeah, right? I
0: mean that's you know that, that, and, that you know. almost
1: puts Notre Dame in. But I guess it all comes down to is. Georgia really needs to beat Alabama.
0: Yeah, exactly. I
1: I mean, I think the easiest thing too. like the hardest thing is Wisconsin being Ohio State. That's that's the hardest thing we have here. Everything else can happen. OU and Oklahoma State can easily split. Cincinnati can lose to Houston. Ohio State's not losing to Wisconsin. (laughs) Probably not, right? I mean, I know I said don't be a prisoner of the moment, but what would you bet the least on? I would bet the least on Ohio State losing to Wisconsin.
0: I don't. I don't see Ohio state losing until they get to the playoffs. And, you know, maybe that's in the championship game. Again, the, the, the offense is playing so well. The quarterback play is so good that it helps. It, it helps offset any problems that they, you know, they're better defensively than I think they were obviously earlier in the year.
1: I think you might find this interesting. You were standing next to us, but you were talking to someone else, Tom Loy and I, and Matt Freeman. Um, we're talking about Notre Dame playing Georgia. And obviously they would be heavy underdogs. You know, they'd probably be 17, 16, 17-point 17 underdogs, just like they would be against Alabama last year or if people knew what they knew about Clemson before that Notre Dame game, that level. Georgia's great on defense. I'd rather take a shot at Georgia than 2020 Alabama or 2018 Clemson. I you agree. are not sneaking up on 2020 Alabama because they will just score until you cannot score with them. No,
0: I, I agree. I think Notre Dame's defense could give Georgia's offense a, right. a bunch of trouble. You know. Be down would it be enough? Would it be enough? I don't know about that.
1: I would I would bet Georgia. I mean, I would yeah. predict Georgia for sure. Um, but you could down 17-6 in the fourth with the ball is a lot better chance to beat Georgia. Right. Than trying to score 60 yeah. with Alabama when they just keep scoring as much as they want. Uh, you
0: know, I, look, I really feel Notre Dame's ascending. And I don't know how you felt about coming out of interviews on Monday. And I don't want to put too much on an interview session and how it relates to where Notre Dame is. But this is an extremely confident football team right now playing their best football. Um, I, I just, Notre Dame is ascending. They, you know, it's unfortunate that they they, they don't have somebody of note to defeat here in November, really is. uh, because no matter how well they play and no matter how well they, they, uh, or how much they defeat Stanford by it's, it's just not going to move the needle. And so we said this a couple of weeks ago, especially after the, they, um, left some points on the field against Virginia. Notre Dame doesn't, all they, all they can do is win games. They can't control anything else as it relates to moving up in the rankings. It's all the teams ahead of them that they're at the mercy of right now.
1: I could listen to anyone that wants to say Notre Dame is four, five, six, or or seven in the country. Like I, I wouldn't, I don't think they're the top three. I, they could beat someone in the top three because I don't think this is, we never even use LSU as an example, but this isn't Alabama, 2020 LSU, 2019. My gosh, they were the best. Clemson, 2018. I think right. you can get these three teams. I don't know if anybody will. I mean, there's I, there's usually blowouts in the college football playoff, right? Especially one versus yeah. four. But yeah, I agree with you that Notre Dame is just playing their best. But Tim, you said there's nothing in November. It's a shame they didn't have a November opponent of note. They didn't have an October opponent of note, other than Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, that's true. I mean, it certainly looked like it when we when we approached the season and that five game stretch with the the bye week in between. But those teams uh,
1: might all be 500. If they lose this, if yeah, North Carolina you know, loses this week, everyone they played after Cincinnati's 500.
0: USC's the, that's it's ridiculous. What yeah. is happening there? Um, and uh, they won't have Brian Kelly to come in and save them. Uh, no,
1: they they won't. Or Tomlin.
0: Not going to <laughs> or Tomlin either. No. All right. Let's come back for segment two. Maybe we'll get Samson to join us here in segment two.
1: Looking for a gift for the Notre Dame fan on your holiday shopping list? Help them commemorate their first Notre Dame game or loyalty to the Fighting Irish with a Notre Dame Football Heritage Project Certificate. Your donation, $5 minimum, will help the Eri Medical Research Fund and the Notre Dame Galaban Journalism Program. Visit ndcertificate.com to learn more.
0: Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from CMU Penns fan. What did Stanford do to Oregon that they will not be able to do to Notre Dame this Saturday?
1: I think they kept McKee clean. He had, I believe, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, They were also able to uh, take advantage of Oregon's outstanding offensive coordinator being hospitalized before the game, which is unlikely to happen. Um, Tommy Reese has already gone through his health scare (laughs) for the season, actually, coincidentally. But I I mean, I think that's a big deal, don't you, that if if Tommy Reese were all of a sudden not available?
0: Oh, no, there's no doubt about it. Yeah. You know,
1: I mean, Oregon still ran on them. They ran for like 225 yards. That's a uh,
0: yeah. I I mean, a, you, when family. you look at that, you look at that game statistically, and nothing really jumps out. Like, oh, Stanford did this. I mean, they had they only had 350 yards themselves. I guess yeah. they ran they they probably ran it a little bit better than they have all. They did run it better than they have right. all year. They they had 124 yards, and they're like at 89 per game. And Nathaniel Pete had 78 yards, which I dare say is his high of the season. So they ran it a little bit. Um, you know, I just don't, I, the only thing that Stanford has going in their favor is Tanner McKee throwing to Higgins and Humphreys and Wilson is back and, and their tight end Eurosic. I mean, it's yeah. a, that is one concern for Notre Dame. If he has, if McKee has a clean pocket, which is debatable, but at times he will, and it's a good pass catch combination uh, that they have, but it, <laughs> I mean, they had McKee back last week, and they scored 11 points against Cal and lost by 30.
1: Yeah, and Cal was a train wreck, mess of COVID casualties from the week before. I mean, right, they, and if
0: you're not, if they're not up for, I mean, if they're not emotionally prepared to play Cal, right, right, which is a much bigger, which is even an even bigger game for them than Notre Dame, then I don't know how, I don't know how emotionally they're ready to play uh, Notre Dame this weekend.
1: Yeah, and I also, if you think of, I just just checked this too, Anthony Brown, Oregon's quarterback. 14 to 26, 180 yards and a pick. I mean, if Jack Cohn's not playing like that right now, especially against Stanford with the running game he has.
0: No, and it was only a matter of time before Anthony Brown, a quarterback for Oregon, caught up to him.
1: You know, yes. I mean. I love the uh, the review of the Utah bludgeoning of Oregon. Massive upset as Utah beats. Oregon, yeah, their favorite at home, and no one in the world was betting on Oregon that game. That's no. massive upset will be Michigan beating Ohio State or Wisconsin beating Ohio State. I'll, I'll that. Take. Was
0: I don't remember what the final score was, but it was worse than the final score. Didn't no, that was finish
1: a, it. it was a yeah. game I was monitoring, I didn't need to finish. That's how bad it was, right? Yeah, next from Tom Bullock three is it time for Stanford to look beyond David Shaw?
0: You know, David Shaw is 93 and 44 at Notre Dame, and I realize it's gone south uh, for them the last couple of years, but this is Stanford. Uh and in an awful season, they still beat Oregon and USC. I don't think, you know, I mean, I think David Shaw is a is probably the perfect fit for Stanford. I mean, the most understated guy for one of the most understated fan bases in the country. Yeah. Um I don't think Stanford's in any position to who Stanford could could could, could be go back to pre Harbaugh days.
1: Yeah, they they it's strange how far they've fallen this year, because if you think they beat Oregon, even though the circumstance we presented, and won at USC, which got Helton fired, basically. They shouldn't have been three and eight when I say those two things, right? You should be six and six, six and five going to this game. You're capable of beating that team and USC's talent early in the year when they're playing better. It's strange to me. Um I was researching some stuff for I don't know how this came up, but it popped up that Stanford sells out season tickets for first time. It was 2013 ever. It's the Shaw era right after Harbaugh. Now, th- 12, 13, 14 were way better teams than we have seen since. Big 17 is the cutoff, right? They were really good. In, they were still good in 17.
0: When, um, you say, when you say six and six, I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, they, right. They, lost, they lost by 18 to Arizona State at Arizona State. They lost to Washington State on a row. They lost by seven at home to Washington you know, I mean, these should be games where uh, at least a couple of them are winnable. They lost by 21 to Oregon State. To
1: Tom's question, a different program would probably be looking to get rid of David Shaw, but he fits too well there. Uh, I know Tom is from South Bend and lives in Ohio now. If he ever wants to make the trip out uh, every other weekend of Thanksgiving Saturday to walk the grounds of Palo Alto, you'll see why David Shaw fits in just fine with the with the attitude of this football people have for this football game, because it will be no different, Tim, when you and I walk in than it was in 2013 or 2015 when there were actual stakes.
0: It is the, the setting around Stanford stadium is the most serene, yes. docile. It's serene.
1: It's, serene. You know, it's,
0: it's serene. It's beautiful. That's, I mean, we both love going to Southern California at the end of November, but I, going to Northern California where again, I, I haven't checked the, the uh, forecast here in the last couple days, but it's like supposed to be upper sixties. It's all good. It's still all good. And it, it, it's, it's almost always that way. Now you get a little chilly with, with these night games. Cause we need to be prepared for that because that'll be an open air press box. And it could be a little, uh, if
1: you recall, bit, they opened it up when it got down to like 39, one, time. right, right, right. So right. right. All of a sudden the windows open. We're like, no, no, no. This is Yeah.
0: Great. Yeah. But, um, now, I, I I mean David Shaw has done such great things. There are the best days of David Shaw at Stanford behind him, almost undoubtedly. Um, I, because I don't know how they're going to re, be able to recruit to get them back up to the level. Although, and you know, I keep saying although, I mentioned the teams that they lost to. Come on, man you should you should still be defeating teams like that. Yeah. D H okay. Spartan 1985. I've heard you mention Bill Bauer as being a special team star, assuming similar talent levels. Is there anything other than grit and determination that makes someone great on special teams?
1: Well, I think number one is courage to unleash and hit at full speed in football is something that is not ingrained in everybody. Um, speed, I, I guess he's, he's, he's mentioned that uh, assuming equal talent, speed is huge because no matter how much we love Bo Bauer at it or Mike, and Mike Anello was fast, And it was Mark Bonahan back in the day. Remember, he had about 15 special teams tackles as a walk-on. He's a physician now in the area. David Bruton's the best one. (laughs) That dude has elite traits, elite talent. So athletic ability has to be in there. But I think there's also that something wrong in your head thing. Not everybody has. I can name a few guys that don't have it it, on Notre Dame now, and I can name a couple that do.
0: It's absolutely incredible how he finds himself around the football. And and linebacker, but especially on – on kick coverage. Um, I had an opportunity to, to, uh, interview Bauer the other day and he said, uh, and we were talking special teams and he said, you know, when I was a freshman, he was, he said, I was surprised at some of the better players that wanted no part of special teams. And he said, I made up my mind right then that I was not going to be that way. I was going to, to, you know, hold on to it. And, and, uh, and do it for all that it was worth. And it, I mean, it absolutely shows. I think you mentioned courage. Uh, He, he has become a skydiver. I don't know if you heard that part of it. I
1: did not hear that part.
0: He's done it one time. Um, I believe he was attached to the, uh, to the instructor for his first one, but loved it and wants to do it again. So you talk about courage. I said, what are you, are you out of your mind? But you know, it really takes a, you either want to skydive or you don't, and the vast majority of human beings do not want to do that. And not surprisingly, Bo Bauer thought it was awesome and exhilarating, and he wants to do it again.
1: Yeah, that's that is not surprising at all. And then you think about it, Usu Cormo was great on special teams so they had to take him off because he became too valuable. Right, Miles Hamilton would be wonderful on special teams. So the elite traits are there, but those guys I mentioned also have the mechanism that's something little something off.
0: Right, right. You want and guys with As far as Bauer coming back next year, you know, I think just about everybody that we talked to the other night was someone in that situation, except maybe some of the younger DBs, but um, you know, he wouldn't commit. He said, I want to stay in the moment, you know, uh, play where my feet are or whatever that expression is. Um, Right, Right. And so we'll see, but Brian Kelly also said on Monday that Bo Bauer is a perfect fit for Marcus Freeman's defense. So it'd be a huge opportunity for Bauer, uh, you know, a, a, a year as a full time starter, which I guess wouldn't necessarily be guaranteed, but probably should be because he's that good, isn't he?
1: Yeah, it, it's if not full time starter, I mean, forty three. Yeah, right, right. You're not. I, yeah. You don't want Bo Bauer. He won't play seventy five snaps a game because they got to no. they got to sub out for people yeah. like that. I mean, it's. I know he plays on the nickel team now but he's going to be worn down at the end of the year if they try to jd bertrand him so yeah you
0: can see bauer you can see bertrand of course sliding over to mike with with drew white leaving and being a one hell of a tag team of mike linebacker
1: that'd be great and i know we're going to have a month's worth to talk about this so i won't mention how i think a bunch of those guys are going to come back that we talked to on monday night
0: yeah that's going to be a question um, that you know we'll be answering here as we continue to go through december pico
1: 4923 Does Tyler Buckner's perceived lack of prowess throwing the football have a negative impact on the chances of Austin and or Lindsay returning?
0: Well, I mean, only they know they're, they're, they're in practice every day. They've been in practice every day with them since, um, you know, this summer when they were, when they were throwing it around the yard. Um, You know, I, I I don't know. I, I, maybe CJ Williams has some questions about, uh, about that situation.
1: Um. I think Williams fits more in that category than Austin or Lindsey.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I mean, I, I would think that if you're around Tyler Butner, you have confidence that he's going to be a, the guy a guy that's going to develop. Uh, he's a smart kid. He's talented. He's athletic. He just needs to. He just needs the reps. I think he needs to dial in with his release point, depending upon the throw, because it, it gets a little scattered, and when it does, that's when he loses his accuracy. I don't know. I I, I think I think Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay are going to look at their own individual situation more than they are in judging whether Tyler Buckner is going to develop.
1: And as much as we think Austin needs to return and how he could be really, really help himself in the next in the following season's draft, like Lindsay needs to be talked into coming back because he just won't make it through. He won't make it through a training camp at this stage.
0: (laughs) I agree. I agree. I mean physically I just don't, I don't mean, know. I mean
1: physically he won't make it. Right, training. right. I
0: don't I don't know how um, he would he would do that. And it, you know, my, my reaction to Kevin Austin and whether he'd go pro or not, if Kevin Austin, I don't know if I said this on Monday, if Kevin Austin said, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna grad transfer, I would think that would be that would be a smarter decision than That's turning right. pro. It, it absolutely would be a smarter decision. I wouldn't I, w- I wouldn't even really maybe blame him because of that, if, if he chose to do that. But um, I don't know. We're hearing conflicting conflicting things. I've heard things from two sources that Kevin Austin is coming back. So, you know, Samson has great sources. We have great sources. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there.
1: Wash N.D. After seeing how good Audric Estime looked, plus Jadarian J- J- Price coming in and a wide receiver room potentially light on numbers, does the staff consider moving Tyree to the slot as his primary position? He seems like a player better in space than trying to run between the tackles.
0: Yeah, I I don't want to I don't want to overvalue Audric Estime's performance the other night, six carries against, uh, you know, a, a defense as you said wanted to get the hell out of there, but Um, you know, I think he's going to be really good. I loved him coming out of high school. I think he's going to be really good. We know that Logan Diggs is going to be really good. Jadarian Price has been outstanding during his senior season, better than I thought he was as a junior. He's a much better football player. So I get it. We've talked about Chris Tyree and the inability to uh, break tackles. I I don't know that you move him to the slot permanently. I think you cross-train him. Uh, because it fits with what they want to do offensively anyway with their running backs and 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 playing multiple running backs and putting them in the slot so I don't know that it's necessary to just say hey you're a slot receiver I don't know how Chris Tyree would react to that right but I think at the very least I would agree I think you have to cross train
1: yep and I think this is when you're a coaching staff that uses 95% transparency and you say Chris we want to cross train you at slot receiver that's what we did for Kyron that's why he was a whatever round draft pick. And that's what we did for Theoretic. That's right. What we the
0: see draft. you catching 50 passes next year, that kind and of in thing. In
1: reality, you're saying we want Logan Diggs to be running back number one, you to be number two, <laughs> but that's fine because cross-training it, that Theo at times was running back number two, right? I mean, yeah. the only reason he wasn't is because they ended up trusting him more than they did the knucklehead. So I think that it is, he will definitely be cross-trained and you never in the world say we're moving you. It's the, it's he, the same thing. You don't have to be moved. You you don't have to, but I
0: think, but it's it. Chris, Chris Tyree really, really needs to get stronger. He has got to be able to, whether he's playing slot or running back, he's got to be able to break tackles. He broke a tackle uh, against Georgia tech, but I mean, it, it is just too few and far between at this stage of his career.
1: I guess my concern would be that it isn't strength as much as maybe contact balance. Is that fair or do you think it's just strength, maybe?
0: No, I no, I, I think there's truth to that. I think it's mainly strength. I, I think it's lower body, I think it's power from the hips down that, that he really need because that's how you break tackles. You don't really break tackles with your your upper body per se. It's the lower half that drives you through a tackle attempt. And I just he just needs to get a lot, lot stronger and show the ability to break some more tackles.
1: Yeah. And I want to finish with Chris Tyree to say what we should we say, always say, or I keep saying each week. We saw Chris Tyree healthy when Notre Dame's offensive line stunk out loud. So maybe he can be, I think he could still make a play here.
0: No, no doubt. I don't want to, I don't want to discount a, a turf toe injury. It's a significant injury and it's yep. difficult to bounce back from. Irish from A2, Kyron Williams, Snub from the Dope Walker top 10, Michael Mayer and Brock Bowers excluded from the Mackey Awards finalists. What is the purpose of position awards if you don't recognize the best player at each position?
1: The mayor and Bowers thing is shocking. The Tyron Williams thing is directly traceable to his stats earlier in the year. I mean, you you brought that up. I think it's ridiculous he's not on it, but if you look at the stats, it's he was Right, and there's
0: running back, you know, there's running all kind of running backs. There's dozens and dozens of running backs with numbers.
1: Yeah, you have to watch more to to do these things, these awards. Um, there was somebody, I think it was on Tyler James' Twitter feed yesterday. That had the same, a similar question like, well, here's the committee for the mayor, or the mayor award. <laughs> I just called it the mayor award, by the way. Here's the committee <laughs> for the Mackey award.
0: They may rename it next year.
1: Yeah. And so I responded right away that committee doesn't have a lot to do with it because I'm on no committees and I have votes for many awards. So there are many people voting. And it's tough because, like, when I got the Ray Guy ballot, what did I know? Right. <laughs> I had to. I don't go know. You weren't well versed. To vote, you ha- I had to go do a lot of research. Right, like that, right. That's how you have to go do these things. Now, I have – I just voted last night. I got the Benaric Award finalists sent to me. And the Merrick Award finalists, speaking of not watching games or not being up on things, are Will Anderson from Alabama, who's awesome. Jordan Davis from <laughs> – Jordan Davis, who's Jordan, awesome. Who is, inc- is a game-wrecking machine. Kayvon Thibodeau, who's a really good player when healthy. has a huge name. And then the best safety I have seen at Notre Dame in many years, Kyle Hamilton, who hasn't played the second half of the season. I love Kyle Hamilton. He's a great player. I probably would have voted for him if he was still playing all the way through. I am not voting for six-game Kyle Hamilton no. No, for the you Defensive can't. Player of the Year award. So that, the fact that he's still on there, while a nice gesture because he is one of the five best defensive players in the country, is kind of dumb too, right?
0: Yeah, I think I think it is. I, you know, I think it is. I, I think you have to. You just have to do the fair thing, And picking a guy that played six games. Is I, I don't. I just don't think you can do that. The, or the, should do that.
1: Mackey Award's incredible because the two best tight ends aren't going to win, and Baker and Powers. It's not like they snubbed one guy. Like in the. Yeah. <laughs> Jaylen I had an argument Whitt- with uh, another writer last night, very briefly, that I can't believe Olave and Wilson aren't on it, or one of them. And he made a good point, like, well, they help each other. I was like, yeah, they help each other destroy people, so they should be on the list. Like, I know David Bell's alone, but Chris Olave might have more touchdowns in his Well, no you shouldn't
0: – yeah, you shouldn't penalize doubles. them both because they yeah. both are – right? That's what you're yeah. saying.
1: But I kind of get – I get that at least. You actually are just eliminating the two best tight ends of the country for this award. Charlie <laughs> Kolar – an, if another Ohio, Iowa State guy comes across my feed – As someone that you're winning
0: award, I hear you, man. I hear you because I in the preseason when when their players were dotting everybody's All American list, I'm like, okay, it's a veteran group. They've built to this. I buy that. But then they lose another four games. Are they? Is it four that they've lost? Yeah. Yeah. For the record, the tight ends, the the three finalists for the Mackey Award are uh, Texas A and M's Jalen Wittermeyer, Colorado State's Trey McBride, and and the aforementioned Kohler. are what, are Bowers, what are we? What are we doing? Just
1: to be the freshman, he has eight touchdowns for the best team in the country.
0: Uh, we're gonna a, a guy at Colorado State.
1: <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's really ridiculous.
0: The poorly coached Colorado State Rams. Come on, man. What? Are, I don't know. I don't know. We we get too worked up about it. It's it obviously. The awards don't mean a whole hell of a lot if this is how they're going to determine the finalists for the
1: award. Did you hear what Claypool said or tweeted about Iowa State earlier in the year?
0: I I don't remember, but I know that he did. Uh, it's they something lost, about playing they against
1: them. No, no, they lost to Iowa, and he said something along the lines of, oh, I just thought that was a farm team we played for Iowa.
0: Oh, my God. It's just like. No, understandable. Understandable. Yeah. Question from ND underscore. Do you think the staff regrets a move of Xavier Watts to safety or was it truly in his best interest to move there for playing time?
1: I think it's definitely in his best interest because he looks really good there and they must not have liked something about him, a wide receiver. Maybe the concepts route concepts weren't there. Maybe it was just a little off with him, a wide receiver, but they don't, they need him more as a backup safety. Now than they do as a backup receiver, assuming nobody else gets hurt.
0: Well, they need him as a, well, yeah, I mean, he's he, first of all, why? Why I don't? There would be no regrets. He has a great future. I think it they
1: have five wide receivers right now. I
0: uh, know. I understand it. I understand. But now you're. What you said is absolutely correct. I mean, if they loved him at, if they loved him at receiver, he would have played. They yeah, moved yeah, him to safety. Yeah. They move him to safety. He has a couple of weeks of practice, and he comes out, and he's, he's really impressive. I don't think they regret it. Uh, I understand the question as it relates to the wide receiver core. But yeah, they would have, they would have, he would have played a wide receiver if they really liked what they saw. I love what I see of him at, at safety, all it physically and skill set and toolbox. He's got it all. Now all he's got to do is learn how to play it and maybe they've, you know, he's played the position. He's played it. Well, Ramon Henderson has played the position and played it. Well, that's why I want to give credit to Chris O'Leary. Check it out in, in today's story on Ramon Henderson on Irish illustrated, but uh I don't think there's any regrets. I think they found a, a very a, a potential starting safety, and if if not a starter, a regular member in a three man rotation back there next year.
1: Yeah, as long, as long as DJ Brown's back, I really like that three man rotation, and I still think go get a solid grand transfer too, because if injuries happen, you no longer have a solid three man rotation. Yeah,
0: you should still do that. You you should still do that, and um, you know I know most grad f- transfers that come to Notre expect to start. Uh, I, I get that, but. Um, they got a good situation going there and they've done a, the story on Ramon Henderson, for those that won't see it. Uh, He talked about, you know, the influence of Chris O'Leary, the influence of Mike Mickens, the influence of Kerry cooks, and just how all three of them have collaborated and how appreciative Ramon Henderson's really a fascinating interview, really a fascinating kid. I mean, he's so appreciative of, the opportunity that he's gotten the opportunity that he's had to work with these three quality coaches. He speaks very highly of them in different ways. Um, So no, they're doing good things on the back end of the defense. I,
1: want, I don't think I mentioned this. I, I couldn't have, because it happened after the podcast. I talked to Bracy on Monday and he did not give away if he was going to return or not. I, I assume he will be talked into it at least. Um, he had a funny comment. I think I just told you this Priester, how he found out Ramon Henderson was moved to safety. Cause remember Henderson was moved to safety when he had the flu on a Monday and showed up for practice on Tuesday and he was not in the quarterback's room and Tariq Bracey shows up for his cornerbacks meeting and said, where's Ramon? Somebody said, he's at safety now. Oh, okay. And they just moved on. It just seems like there'd be higher love. It seems like it's more dramatic for fans when a guy moves positions than when it happens for a football team. It's like, Oh, Ramon's playing safety. Okay, cool. (laughs) Everybody's like, is it okay for his career? And He's just like, yeah, I'll go play safety. That's
0: fine. Yeah, no, he's doing a heck of a job. And I know a lot of people like, will he stay there? I, and I and to be fair, I asked Henderson the same thing, and he said, "Yeah, I don't know, but I can't even imagine why they would think about right. about moving him back because he just was uncertain of himself at cornerback, and he's playing real free and easy right now." Beast Texan says, "O'Malley, does Michael Mayer finally take down the tight end touchdown record?" Yes. For the yes, he is. He's at number five. He's he has five. The record is two. six. He needs two. He's got two games minimum. If do
1: it. That means they didn't win their bowl game. That's what I'm going to say.
0: Oh, okay. Good point. Good point.
1: I think he might get to eight
0: in two games.
1: In in two games, yeah, he needs three more to get right. to eight. Right, Brock Bowers level, but guys that can't make the Mackey list. Um, yeah, and actually, he needs. Uh, Lee Mayer needs nine catches in two games, which he sh- could should get to. Should get to. You should say uh, to pass Tyler Eifert for most in a season. Eifert had sixty three. That's more likely than two touchdowns, of course. But yeah, I am. Um, yeah. I, I can't back down now. I, it was my first preseason projection in Monday musings was Michael Mayer beat the touchdown record and he's inching his way towards it after scoring twice in the first five quarters.
0: Certainly a legitimate pick on, on your part under the circumstances. And speaking of, speaking of Brock Bowers, man, he's really good. I loved his high school film. I love Michael Mayer's film and they're both living up to their, their abilities. We have a uh, double question here from M Lindbergh. What got you interested in earning football? How did you end up writing about college football for a living? And then from Hayden Adam Z, happy Thanksgiving to all involved with the podcast. You've talked about the most underappreciated players and coaches in our name, but what are the underrated, underappreciated aspects of your jobs that you are all thankful for?
1: Um, I started writing about college football for a living because I really like sports and writing together. So it made a lot of sense. Um, And actually I did some magazine editing for, not eight years in Atlanta and it was nowhere near as enjoyable uh, daily as college football writing or college basketball writing is. Right. Um, there was some there were perks to that too, because it was fun doing uh, making putting magazines together and tra- interviews and interviewing people and travel. Their shows were fun because I was a writer. So I would go with the salespeople and they had to woo clients and get wooed by clients and such. So I would just go along for the ride and not have to do any wooing but I would get to eat the food and go do stuff like that. Have nice a work. So way,
0: that to, way, to, way to parlay oh,
1: that. Yes, yeah, it was good. It was, well, what,
0: it was, you and I are both from South Bend. We both went to Mishawak Marion High School. Um, and so what got you interested in Notre Dame football? It wasn't probably too hard for you. It certainly wasn't hard for me.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, no, I went to Notre Dame games growing up. My dad was a professor at uh, IU Medical School on Notre Dame's campus and undergrad, so I went to basketball and football games growing up. Apparently my first football game was USC 1981 because I have the ticket stub, but I do not remember that. First one I remember was going in 82. So there's a there's a question that people always ask, when's it too young to bring someone? Apparently eight, because I don't remember going to the USC game. And I remember a lot about football. Uh, I remember the next year with Michigan under the lights. But yeah, there was no doubt for me, I could write about college football and college basketball. That's
0: about the only way that you would not remember a game if you were so young. Yeah. Me, on the other hand, a lot of these games have eluded me through the years, but And I I know I've told this story before, but I I was six years old with my brother, my father at the uh, Parish Priest Rectory, and we watched the 10-10 Notre Dame-Michigan State game. I I do remember that. Now, I know I went to some games um, earlier that year, but I really remember in 67 when O.J. Simpson was in Notre Dame Stadium, so... You know, my brother's five years older than me. I was always going to love Notre Dame. I knew at the age of 12 that I wanted to be a sports writer. And when I graduated from Notre Dame, the opportunity popped open to, to do this for a living. And it was like, God had reached down and said, bless you, my son, you can do this for the rest of your
1: life. Hey, I wanted to let you know, since you have a good Thanksgiving story about our friend, loose emoji that you can never say on air. That I was doing some research yesterday and a <laughs> scholastic story. You can't even say that at a bar, actually. I'll
0: I'll explain the situation, but I won't say what I'll was say said.
1: A scholastic story popped up when I was doing some research yesterday and it was written by Louis Simoji. Um yeah. while at Notre Dame for like uh it was about Alan Pickett. I thought that was kind of cool. I that that's uh I thought of a Thanksgiving story.
0: When Lou and I were working together, Blue and Gold, a Little Stred, we, we would be in the office on Thanksgiving. It was Thursday during the season. You had to work at least in, at least all morning. And we would still get phone calls from people. I don't remember what Lou said the specific phone call was about, but it was like a depth chart question calling on Thanksgiving morning at the office. And Lou uh, Lou had a reaction to that call coming in on Thanksgiving morning. That was classic Lou, but,
1: um, let me, let me just, I'll interrupt you so you don't get close to it by saying you guys for years would see each other this weekend or this week on like Tuesday, Wednesday interviews and say those words to each other.
0: Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly. You probably, the first time you heard it, you probably didn't know what we were talking about, but that that's what it was. But, uh, I, um, I still miss Lou. I still miss Lou.
1: Last Uh, question. The second part, Tim, uh, underappreciated, uh, that's a good
0: thing. Uh, the fact that I can, that for the last 16 years that I can wake up in the morning and walk a few feet to my office and start working is a huge advantage and a huge, I I mean, it's just a huge advantage to be able to get a jump on your day work-wise. And I've, I've always loved working at home. I had no problem making that transition, Right. Um, we're both self-motivated that we don't need to be in an office setting to get our job done. And it's, I, I love that it, besides the fact that I get to, I literally still am exhilarated by my job 40 years after starting it.
1: Yeah. I think number one underappreciated is definitely the daily thing, uh, working from home and writing about football or basketball, 363 days a year, right? Maybe or, no, oh that's not true. I will uh I, I've gone on a vacation or uh, probably 360 days a year is probably. I'd mine. say
0: Jack for me probably 350 days a year.
1: Well you you usually write on uh oh no it's a random day off we both take. You're right it's like 350 but you, we usually write on vacation or write on summer vacation we'll write ahead some of those preview stories. Yeah, I always
0: them. write on vacation. <laughs>
1: There's always something there. Um so the daily the daily quote unquote grind is a lot of fun. I really love, now as much as I love going to Notre Dame games and being in the press box and everything, I love being in a road game press box. That's my favorite thing. I think it's so cool when you sit down, especially if it's a big one, because I guess you just wouldn't be there. I've always gone to Notre Dame home football games, and this sounds kind of selfish right now when I say this. I've always been going to Notre Dame home football games, so if you told me I had to sit in the stands, I'd be okay with it, um, especially since they got rid of hot, you know, the, the press box food that was a little better. Yeah. But I... Um, yeah, they had hot dogs, Jack. i thought let Jack know for the first time in a couple of years. They had hot dogs up there. His hot dogs were uh, available. I love road games um, as long as the weather doesn't deter me or I don't get the bubonic plague on a bus in Tulsa. Which
0: happened, which happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you love going on the road because we are going to keep sending you on the road. <laughs> And as I get older and older, I'm going to continue to pull back on a few games as <laughs> I don't know we if move you forward. Saw next so, year's
1: road schedule, Tim, but it's going to be just fine. The road. Next
0: year's now, next year's road schedule is awesome. Uh, I can probably tell you, I'm not going to Baltimore for the Navy game, so that's going to be you. I want to. I would like to choose another game to not go to, but Vegas, L.A., <laughs> yeah. Chapel Hill. Yeah, but those uh, Columbus, Ohio. I, I don't know how I, I, I think I'll be at all those games. We'll wrap up with a question from Elkman 1966. If Clemson wins the ACC and Notre Dame does not make the playoff, is a Peach Bowl matchup a possibility?
1: You might be assuming all this, but they need help first, right? Clemson, I mean, Wake has to lose.
0: Um, Wake is 6-1, and one. Clemson is 6-2. and two. Clemson plays a non-conference game against South Carolina in season like they always do. Wake Forest is at Boston College, so yeah. if B, yeah, it's a tough game. So if BC were to win, then Clemson would represent the ACC on that side of the division. Pittsburgh is already clinched on the other side, so it could happen. But they, that Clemson would need Wake to lose at Boston College this weekend.
1: But Peach is a distinct – it's Peach and Fiesta. We've, we've gone through this a few times. and there's Yeah,
0: again, if Cincinnati goes to the playoffs and Notre Dame doesn't, then they'll probably – they'll go to the Fiesta Bowl. I think it would be Michigan if Michigan loses to uh, Ohio State. And then if Cincinnati does not make the playoffs, they'll go to the Fiesta Bowl and Notre Dame would go to the Peach Bowl. I think that that's pretty much locked in at this point, assuming – of course, the Nordam defeats Stanford this weekend. And speaking of that, Tim, why don't you give us your prediction of Nordam Stanford?
1: Predict Nordam will defeat Stanford this weekend. That is okay. right here. There we are. Can you All can right. you give you us a second prediction,
0: including point. the score?
1: Yeah, it's uh I'm I'm I've been lowering scores here since Nordam doesn't give up what they call points anymore to these bad teams. So I'm gonna hit it in the 38-10 range. Um, I would consider 38-13, and i just not going higher because uh, they can't always play really well like that. You know, (laughs) they're coming off a really good game. Don't be a prisoner of the moment. 38-10 handling of Stanford is what I'm going to go with. If you want to tell me that Notre Dame is going to score over 40 on Stanford, I'm not going to argue with you too much because they certainly could. But I have time to respect the defense and quit giving teams two touchdowns on my predictions. It's 38-10, Notre Dame moves to 11-1.
0: Well, think about how motivated Notre Dame's defense is going to be to have, to throw another touchdown shutout this weekend. Yeah. I do. I, I it's from that standpoint alone. I think the McKee connection with his wide receivers can can uh, can get into the end zone maybe one time. But I I just I don't see. I think this is a very one sided football game. I think Notre Dame is as motivated as they've been at any point. There's blood in the water. They see it. They sense it.
1: They're going to run for a lot of yards. And I'm going to be looking over at you when Logan Diggs gets that ball in the fourth quarter when he has 64 yards. No, no, Deion Coles is gonna
0: Deion Coles is gonna get his first touchdown this week. And I still think that that's a lot easier than Diggs getting 100 yards. <laughs>
1: yeah, but I,
0: but I but I do not I do not discount what you're saying because it's going to be a good day for the Notre Dame running game. And that will inter you know, Stanford's pass defense, there's some good numbers there, but it's mainly because their run defense is so awful.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like Notre Dame was second in pass defense nationally in 2007.
0: Right. Were, it, they, it, were they really second? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, my prediction will be in the preview that I will be writing on Thanksgiving Day. I won't be in an office setting, but I will be at uh, at home doing that. Not I like the be, old days. I oh,
1: underappreciated part of my job. I love on my flight writing who and what to watch for Saturday mornings when I fly out. From
0: there you go, man. There we go. Nobody loves this job more than Tim O'Malley. I love mine, too. And we appreciate all you folks listening to us this season. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and the next time you hear from us, it'll be Saturday, November 27th, pregame instant analysis, Priester O'Malley. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame Athletics.